0: So excited to be introducing you this evening to a friend of mine. Uh, I met uh, this man last year in Portugal. Uh, I was gathered with a group of pastors from different countries and Pastor Marethi Wanjao from uh, Mavuno Church in Nairobi, Kenya was uh, one of the people that was teaching us. And I got to spend some time with him And knew when I met him that I was talking to a man uh, of great wisdom and someone who was being raised up by God to be a blessing to many nations. Uh, He has a love for Jesus and a love for the church and a a love for the people uh, of God. A love for also people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of cities around the world who need Jesus. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And I believe it will be a very significant message for many of you here today. So I hope you're going to listen ever so well to a dear friend. Let's welcome him as he comes to speak to us. Let's welcome Marathi.
1: How are you doing, New Day? It's so good to be here tonight. I am so glad to be here. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Nairobi, Mavuno Church. Do you receive them? Amen. Now, you need to actually, you, you know, in Africa, when, you, when I give you greetings, you actually need to receive them. So I, I need to see that you've received them. So can you wave and just show me you've received them? Amen. And when I go back, I want to tell them that you sent me with their greetings, and I don't want to lie. So you need to send me greetings now. So I can take them back. So do you send me greetings back? Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. I brought you, I feel so at home here because we meet in a tent, a marquee just like this one. So I, put a, I brought a few pictures. I don't know if they have them on the tech team has them, uh, but I brought a few pictures just to show you what it looks like uh, back in Kenya. Okay. Those are not, that's not, okay. That's, well, okay. They're getting there. That's Mavuno Church. Uh, that's what it looks like. That's the place where we meet. Very similar to this. I also brought a picture of my family, Uh, and that's my family there, Uh, my wife and my three children, uh, Carol, and we have three children, 15, and twins, 12, and I just thought I'd introduce them to you so you get to know me a little bit. I wish I brought them because I know they'd have had a lot of fun with this, and the best thing about knowing Jesus is that when you travel across the world, you meet people who become instantly, I mean, they're your brothers and sisters, Amen. And so I have a picture of my New Day family, and it's, uh, that, was, that came up as well. So those are my peeps uh, that I got to meet here. And you can tell, we're, we're brothers and sisters, except from a different mother, but we look alike. And so I'm really glad to be... Uh, I, I told them they dared me to put their picture up, so I said I'd make them famous. And so really excited to be here. I also brought you a few pictures of Nairobi. How many people have been to Nairobi? Let me just see a show of hands. Wow, I'm surprised there's that many of you. I figured the rest of you haven't, so I brought you a few pictures of my city, so we're going to show those up right now. And just in case you ever get a chance, that's a church, so let's move to the city ones. Uh, If if you've never been to Nairobi, that's what it looks like. It's a beautiful city. It's four million people. It's a a famous city because uh, one of the things that makes it really famous is it has a game park just next to the city, so about, my goodness, 100,000 hectares. Uh, with wild animals just next to the city and it's a beautiful city it's also famous for traffic so if you like traffic Nairobi is the place uh, for you you need to come and visit us and it's a beautiful beautiful city I thought I'd show you some pictures you probably wouldn't see because that's not what most people associate Africa with I've had a few people ask me are there big spiders in Africa and I said, okay, I need to show you a few other pictures so you know there's other things, not just spiders. There are other beautiful things uh, that are going on in Africa as well. So I'm so excited to be here. I've had a wonderful time. I want to just begin by testifying that when we prayed for healing uh, on Wednesday night, I'd had a bum leg. My leg, uh, I've been limping for a while. Uh, and I was trying to hobble around this place. It was very painful. When we prayed for healing, I went back to the hotel and I realized I can walk. And my, my leg is completely healed. And so I want to give glory to God. God's presence is here. God's presence is here, and He is healing His people. He's doing a great thing, and I'm so excited to be with you uh, tonight. So I want to just begin by asking you a question. Have you ever had an experience that completely changed your life? I mean, it was just you're minding your own business, you're in a normal day, nothing told you that this was going to be a life-changing day, and then all of a sudden something happened. Boom! Boom! And your life was never the same. You know, I'm believing that some of you, this is already happening in this place. And that your lives will not be the same after this camp. But I want to tell you a story of something like that that happened to me. It happened back home in a beautiful city. It was a beautiful December evening. And Nairobi is, I mean, if you, if you know anything about the southern hemisphere, where I'm from, December is actually summer for us. It's the opposite of here. And so it was beautiful and I was on, uh, we are on the beach in a, in a beautiful beach city called Mombasa and I was with my friends and we we're having a lovely evening just catching up with them, having a normal conversation and I was talking to one of my friends and his name is Tim. And Tim is a really quiet guy, doesn't talk too much, kind of thinks more than he talks, a good listener, uh, very reserved and I was asking him a question about a career change he just made. And I asked him about it because he had moved from a very prestigious position. He was working for a large oil firm. And he moved to a position where now he was working for a a small startup in a very unknown field. None of us knew what that field was. It was called IT, information technology, back in the day. None of us, all of us were thinking, why would anybody do this? And so I asked him the the question. I said, Tim, why would anybody in in their rational mind, Leave an established firm like you just have and go to a startup in a, in, a, in a field that nobody knows about. And then I'll never forget what happened. I mean, Tim, he just leaned forward and it's a, like a light came on in his eyes. And he, he just began, I mean, he, he, he began to speak in an animated way. I'd never seen him speak this way. And he began to explain to me how this thing was going to be the next big thing, and how Christians needed to be in it to influence it for the kingdom, and how he felt this was his purpose, that God created him for this. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, all the things I've ever been good at, all the training I've ever received, all my life experiences, God has been weaving them together for this moment. I don't remember anything else Team said that night, because he might as well just have reached across the table and smacked me in the face with those words. Oh my goodness, I'd never heard somebody speak like that. I'd never heard somebody speak about a life purpose without conviction. I didn't even know what that was, and I was jealous. I remember thinking at that point, because I was working in the church, I started asking God, God, I'm the one who works in church. I'm the one who should be talking about purpose to this person. How come he knows so clearly what he was created for? And from that day on, I began to pray. I said, God, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray every day until you show me the purpose that you created me for. Because you know, that day I discovered a very interesting thing about the Christian life. I discovered that the Christian life is not just about being nice and about going to church and about avoiding bad things, and about telling people about Jesus, and waiting for the day Jesus comes to take us home. That's not what it is. I discovered that the Christian faith is not, it's not the opium of the masses, it's not this thing, this spiritual experience that is good for some and not for others. That's what I once thought. I began to realize that this Christian walk following Jesus is about being connected to the one who created me, and about discovering the reason that I was created. And that day something came up for me. I, I, I developed a hunger to pray and ask God. To show me the reason that he created me. And today I want to speak about that. The reason for which we were created. And I want to look at the life of an amazing man. A man who lived out his life purpose. A man who was a brilliant man. A leader in his generation. An author. A man whose writings have changed the world like nobody ever has. A man who began a revolution. A revolution that continues 2,000 years after him. A man because of whom, arguably, we're here today because of the work he did. And I'm speaking about the Apostle Paul. And I want us to look at his story because there's something very interesting about him. I want us to read Acts chapter 20. And there's an interesting story there because this man... Very successful man, the Apostle Paul, by every definition. He thought about success very differently from how most people think about success. Even though he was so successful, for him when God asked him to give up that success, boom, he was ready to throw it away. In fact, at the height of his success, Paul was asked by God to to quit and to throw it all away. When his ministry was growing... And the world was being changed by his writing. But as, as he walked around teaching and studying churches, God told him it was time to go to Jerusalem. And Paul knew what happened in Jerusalem because it had happened to his master before him. He knew that he was a wanted man there. He knew that this was a death sentence. He knew it was about to end. He knew he would be imprisoned if he went to Jerusalem. But without any question, Paul put aside his ministry And did exactly what the father was asking him for. You know, Paul, for Paul, he didn't view success as what he was living for. Because he was living for something much greater. And I want us to read his story. There's something that happened along his journey back to Jerusalem. When he met some friends and the things that they say to him. So I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 20. And I'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 24. And then I'll finish with 36 to 38. Acts chapter 20. This is what it says. It says, Paul had decided against stopping at Ephesus this time because he didn't want to spend farther time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, for the the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come down to meet him. When they arrived he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now I have done the Lord's work humbly, yes and with tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews, yet I never shrunk from telling you the truth either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike, the necessity of turning from sin and turning to God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, I'm going to Jerusalem. Drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has stole me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. I'm going to skip to verse 36. And he says, When he finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them, and they wept aloud as they embraced him in farewell, sad most of all because he had said they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him down to the ship. Allow me to pray for a second. Father, I thank you for this beautiful evening. I thank you for the amazing songs that we've been singing. I thank you that we are your children. We are loved by you, and you're our Father. We thank you for all the great testimonies we've heard in this place of healing, of great things that have happened as people have given. And Lord, we come one more time to you to ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, as I bring your word to your people, I pray tonight that every resistance to the word of God in this place, that Lord, it will be bound right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we put aside any resistance to your word, any distractions, and we pray that every one of us would hear your word and be transformed by it. And Lord, I submit myself to you now, and I pray that you would speak through me and you be glorified. We love you, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people say, amen. 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 To God be the glory. Now, Paul had some great friends in Ephesus. He had some people he loved very much. He wasn't from Ephesus. Paul was actually a Jew from a place called Tarsus. But he was in this European city of Ephesus, and he had grown to love these people, You see, Paul was there when the church was young, and he spent time with them teaching them about Jesus. Paul started many churches, but Ephesus was special. The Bible tells us it's the one place where he spent not just days, not just weeks, not just months, but two whole years, and he taught there every single day about Jesus. And so he loved these people. He prayed for them. Their families were changed. Miracles happened. I mean, so many dramatic things happened in Paul's ministry, but Ephesus was one of those places where miracles happened. I mean, it was so dramatic that the Bible tells us that people would come to Paul and, with a handkerchief. I mean, this, this is just, it's weird stuff. They'd come with a hunky and they'd touch him and then take it home to their relatives who were sick and couldn't come, and they'd be healed. I mean, the power of God was in the place. And Paul was teaching every day for two years. And you can't do that without falling in love with the people that you're pouring your life for. I mean, Paul was so successful in his work in Ephesus that there was a riot. And the people of Ephesus said, the the natives of Ephesus said, that the people were turning away from their gods. And everybody was, the whole world was turning towards the God that Paul was teaching about. So he actually had to leave. His ministry was interrupted. But now that Jesus had told him to go to Jerusalem where his life was going to end in his view. Paul wanted to see these people he loved at least one more time to say goodbye. So he went to the port of Miletus and he basically was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem to obey Jesus. But he wanted to see these friends and so he asked them if they would come and meet him at the port and just hang out with him and he'd tell them what was happening. And as he spoke with them, it became obvious to them that this man Was actually walking away from him and they would never see him, walking away from them and they would never see him again. And at that point, the drama began, the tears began to flow, the kisses and the hugging, and everybody was sad. They were mourning because this man had given his life for them, their lives had been changed because of him, and now they would never see him again. Now, many of Paul's friends did not agree with his course of action, they thought he was being too extreme. They looked at him and they thought, my goodness, why would you do this? In fact, in chapter 21, it tells us that one of the next cities he went to was called Caesarea. There's a a prophet who walked up to him and he took off his belt. I don't know if anyone's ever done that to you. But you know, you need to have to be very close and comfortable with that person, isn't it? Somebody just walks up to you and starts taking off your belt. You need to like them and be very, trust them really. And Paul didn't seem to comment, so he must have known this guy. They must have been good friends. And the man took off Paul's belt, and he tied his own hands with Paul's belt. And then he said to everybody there, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. He will be tied and arrested and handed over by the Jews to the Romans. And the Bible tells us that Paul's friends, they started to weep. They started to beg him, please don't go. Please don't lose your life. I'm sure they were thinking, my goodness, Paul, you're a brilliant man. You're a great leader. You have such a great career, such an amazing ministry. Why do you want to throw it away? But Paul said some amazing words to them because he knew who he was and where he was going. Verse 22, we just read it earlier. He said, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. In other words, Paul is saying, listen guys, I'm not daft. I know what I'm doing. I know it's going to be painful. I know I'm giving up a lot by doing this. But then in verse 24 he adds, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is all my accomplishments, all my reputation, all my celebrity status, all the ministry that I've achieved in all these years, all my possessions and who I am, they're useless to me unless they're useful to help me accomplish the purpose for which God created me. You know, Paul was saying something radical. And it is this, that every single one of us is created for a God purpose. Every one of us was made for a God purpose. None of us was created to be mediocre. None of us was created to be born Go to school, get good grades, make money, get married, have children, and then die. That's not what we were made for. We were made for more. And we long for more. Human beings long for immortality. We long for our lives to count for more. And the reason we long for that is because this is what we were created for. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. We were made for more. None of us was created to be mediocre. Mark Twain, I love one, I've quoted him before even in this forum. Mark Twain said, "Very fair." I love this quote. He said, the two most important days in a person's life are the day you're born and the day you discover why. Two most important days in your life. Do you know why you were born? Paul is saying, Paul is saying, listen, everything else in my life is irrelevant. So long as I will put it in that place, I will use everything I have. I will trade my whole life that I will achieve the purpose for which God made me. And so I want to ask you a question tonight. And this is my question. What are you trading your life for? What are you trading your life for? You know, every single one of us is trading our lives for something right now. Maybe you're trading your life for popularity. That was me in high school. I, <laughs> everything I did was to position myself to be popular. I was concerned about what people thought about me. Do I look right? I spent hours in front of the mirror, can admit it now, it's many years later, I thought it was important that people thought I looked good, and that people thought I was cool, and that I hung out with the right people. I was trading my life to be popular, and some people, it continues long after high school, they trade their lives to be famous, to be celebrities, and that's all they're doing, leveraging social media so that people can think well about them. What are you trading your life for? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it relationships? Is it your career? Is it fame? Everyone trades our lives for something. But here's what Paul is telling us. Your life is worth nothing unless you trade it for the ultimate thing, the one thing that you were created for, and that is the purpose that God put you on this earth. There's a unique reason, and that's the only thing worth trading your life for. Listen, a life that is not lived for God's purpose is a wasted life. This is what Paul is saying. This is startling. I didn't know this. That I, You know, many of us live life randomly. It's like life happens to us. Even as Christians, we have no intentionality. We have no idea that we were created for something more. And so we let life happen to us. We, we move from one thing to the next. And we don't realize that we were created for big things. And God has put eternity in our hearts. A life not lived for God's purpose is a wasted life. So how do I begin to live a life on purpose? How do I begin to engage with God and understand the purpose that I was created for? The first thing you need to do, obviously, is to to ask. That's what I began to do. After that conversation with Tim, I began to pray. I held on to God. I said, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will pray until you're bored of my prayers. And God, you're going to show me why you made me. And I held on to God. I said, God, show me why you made me. And that's the thing, you need to ask God. The interesting thing about God is He wants to show you the purpose that He made you for. He created you for a reason. He'd love for you to discover it. You know, it's interesting, one of the things I've enjoyed most being here is the place I'm staying is about 10 minutes away, so every night I take a taxi back to the hotel. And I I love the conversations I've had with my cab drivers. And every night they always ask me, so what's going on at the showground? And my opening line is 6 Thousand crazy teenagers, and all of them, they—I mean—they always go, "Wow!" And they, we we have a we have a laugh about that. And they say, "So, what are you doing there?" And I say, "I'm I'm speaking there." And they ask me, "What are you speaking about?" And unknown to them, I'm going, "Yes." We <laughs> have ten minutes for me to tell you about purpose. And boy, I mean, one of the one of the guys, I was trying to explain to him, and I realized I wasn't getting through. So I pointed at a BMW that just passed us on the little country lane, doing about 30, 30 miles an hour. And I told him, that, to me, symbolizes a wasted life. He says, what do you mean? I said, this car was created in the land of the Autobahn. In Germany, you can drive a car like this for two, at 240 miles an hour. I said, this guy bought this car, and he's driving it in little country lanes at 30 miles an hour. I say that's a wasted life. <laughs> you know some of us some of us are that BMW. We we we're, we're living our little safe comfortable life. Just 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 playing it safe. Just waiting for heaven. And yet you are created for adventure. God didn't create you for a safe, saved life. God created you for a dangerous life, a life that will cause chaos to the enemy, a life that will change the world. I love John 14:12. Jesus says to his disciples, and he's speaking to us when he says it, He says, "You will do even greater things than these." The disciples were all amazed by Jesus, because Jesus was doing such amazing things in his time. Jesus says, "You will do greater things than me. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit." And some of us are comfortable living comfortable lives, and yet we are created to cruise, to live big life. See, a life that is not lived for God's purpose is a life that is wasted. So how do we begin to to know what things to trade our lives for? How do we begin to discover our purpose? We need to ask. But as we ask, we must have the right attitude. The Bible says sometimes we ask, but we do not receive because of the attitude of our hearts. And so what are the things that we must have as we ask? I began to discover this in my own journey. And the first one, the first thing was the thing that was spoken about last night so well by my brother Steph. It's surrender. We need to ask with the attitude of surrender. Paul was totally and completely surrendered to God. I cannot cannot overemphasize how important surrender is if you want to live the life that you were created for. You know, I discovered this myself when I was a youth pastor, and I took a group of young people on a short-term trip to a part of our country, a a, a desolate part of our country with a lot of poverty, and we're working there with some great missionaries. And one of the days, they told us, we we, we thought we're waking up to go work, and they said, no, today we don't work. Thursday, every Thursday, they said, we just spend the whole day in prayer. And I remember thinking, what's that for? (laughs) We came to work. And they said, no, no, no. We spend the whole day in prayer and fasting. And they said, the emphasis for today is we're just going to take a a notebook and write down all the things in your life that would keep you from following Jesus wholeheartedly. Anything that if God asks you for, you would struggle to release. So just take some time and write all those things down. And then the rest of the day, take the rest of the day to just pray and surrender those things to God. And I remember thinking... Why do I need a whole day to do that? I mean, simply—I mean, write a list. That shouldn't take half an hour. I mean, I, I don't have that many things that I own. And I thought after that, I just pray for another half hour. I should be done. And I remember thinking, my goodness, this is this is a waste of a day. But I went anyway to my the place I was praying, and I began to write this list. And I wrote it, and I wrote, and I surprised myself because it just wouldn't stop. There were so many things in my life that were important to me. I wrote things like my career, my chosen career, that I'd I'd, I'd, I'd positioned my education to get me into this career. So it was years in the making. I wrote my dream to be rich and to have a lot of money. That was one of my dreams. I wrote the relationships that were precious to me. And I said, you know, God, if you ask me for my family, it would be hard for me to give this up to you. And I talked about my girlfriend. I was dating someone at that time. And I, I remember just saying, God, if you took her away, this would be hard for me to give up. And I wrote, I just kept writing, I, wouldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop. And when I was done, I, th- I said, okay, I'm going to prioritize these things in order, and I'll start with the easiest one. Good thing to do, because it wasn't an easy thing. And so I started with the easiest one, and I just began to let it go. And I said, God, from now, I give this to you. And I moved to the next thing. And I don't even know what happened. At some point, I just began to feel the pain, physical pain of letting go of the things that were precious to me, the things that had defined me, my need to be popular. I just let go of those things. And it felt like I was just prying my fingers off my life, the things that I'd held on to, the things that defined me. It was so painful, I started to weep. I didn't even know I was crying. And I was crying and I was just praying and writing those things. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and they said, it's six o'clock, it's time for us to come and eat. And I still remember just being shocked. A day had never flown by just like that. And fortunately, I was on the last thing, so I let it go and I came back. And you know, the interesting thing is from that day on, a freedom came into my life. I was simultaneously the poorest I'd ever been and the richest I had ever been. Because here's the thing that happens. You know, when you're holding on to something, as long as you're holding it on to, and you're saying, God bless me, you can't can't give anything to somebody whose fists are like this. But the minute you let it go, and you say, God, it's yours, God begins to remove the things that weren't even supposed to be there in the first place. And he puts the things that were meant to be. And you know, it was very interesting. I was only in my very early 20s. But God instantly began to show me, this career you picked, it wasn't the career I picked for you. It's not what I made you for. Let me show you what I made you for. And I'll tell you, if, if, if in high school you'd asked me to write the top 100 things I wanted to be, being a pastor would not have been one of them. I would have probably been 250, number 250. And God said, I want you to be a preacher and to preach my word. And then he told me, this girlfriend that you've given up to me, and I was like, okay, what's he gonna say? Cross your fingers. This was weird, I'll tell you. It was the weirdest thing. God said, I want you to marry her next year. That was not my plan. I showed you my picture earlier. I showed you her picture earlier. And I'll tell you this. Oh my goodness, my wife, her name is Carol. She is the best thing that ever happened to me next to Jesus. It was such a brilliant thing. People ask me today, how you're so smart to have married her when you did. And I say, you know what, I'm smart, but I'm not that smart. I mean, she's just, she's, she's my life mate. She's, su- she's the best decision I ever made. But I didn't make it. You see, I surrendered, and God allowed me to make the right decision. And so this is the thing, surrender. Because when you surrender, God begins to show you, this is what I want for you. And so I'm so glad for all of you yesterday. So many of us made that step and said, God, I surrender it all to you. My life is yours. This is the beginning of a life of adventure. When you're no longer in control. When you allow God to be the one who leads your life. One of the things that I surrendered is I said, God, I've always wanted to see the world. I've always wanted to travel. And if you ask me, to be a minister, to be a pastor. I already suspected he might ask me to do that. I'll be poor and I'll never go anywhere. Yeah. I'll tell you, by the time I was 26, I'd go to so many countries, I said, God, I'm tired of travel. I just want to stay home. (laughs) See, this is the amazing thing about God. He knows why he made you. He knows the reason he created you for. You can trust him because he'll show you the reason. The second thing, the second thing, And this is very important. And especially for those of you who took that step of surrender, there's another step that comes with it. You see, it's very easy to live in that space where you're like, okay, Lord, I've surrendered. I'm just waiting. And next year you come here and it's, I'm still surrendered, Lord. You haven't shown me what the step is. And so here's why the second, this is why the second step is so important. And the second step is risk. Surrender and Risk. You know, I remember as a young man having an opportunity to to interview a very influential Christian leader in our country. He started a church, and that church had impacted many young people. He was a famous Christian leader. And so with some friends, we got a chance to interview him and to meet him and to talk with him. I was in awe of this man, and I had a question I was dying to ask him. And the question I asked him is, how did you know that this is what God wanted you to do with your life? That time I was really struggling with what God was calling me to be. And I was waiting for the answer. I sat back waiting for the story about the angels and, 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 and the vision and the dream in the middle of the night. But that's not what he said. He said, I saw a need and nobody else would do anything about it. So I said, well, I might as well. And all of us were like, the Angel? trumpet, but that was it, and I remember feeling a little disappointed, I was like, I thought, I thought there would be more to it, but later on I began to realize just how biblical his answer was, just how right that answer was. You see, we're often waiting for God to speak to us audibly, and to direct us, and to push us, and to move us, but the Bible says he has already shown us, he has shown you, oh man, what the Lord requires of you. And every day we come across situations of brokenness around us. Every day we come around across situations that do not reflect the kingdom of God. We come across situations that reflect a broken world around us. It might be in our classrooms. We see situations of bullying. We see situations of racial injustice. We see situations where, where there's a disparity between rich and poor. It might be in a situation where you look and you find you know something breaks your heart. One of the questions I like asking people in our church is, what is it that breaks your heart like nothing else? What is it that makes you mad? What is one thing that you always wring your hands and, and, and say, I wish someone would do something about it? You know, we're all different. For some of us, it's little children. When you see little children hungry or suffering, something in you. Anybody feel for little children? Let me just see a show of hands. Yeah, they're, they're here. For some of you, it's, it's women. When you see women abused across the world, you feel somebody needs to do something. Anybody who feels for women issues, let me just see a show of hands. There's a lot of people in this room. For some of you, it's the environment. When you see people abusing the environment, you feel, oh my goodness, why would anybody do that? Anybody who feels strongly for the environment here. There's a lot of people as well. You know, let me tell you something. That thing that you feel for, not everybody else around you feels for it. It's something, you, there's something God has wired in you that makes you feel for certain issues more than anybody else around you. And there are clues. God's already giving you clues to what his purpose is for you in the season that you're in. And so stop running away from the issues around you. Start leaning into them. Start saying, God, here I am. Nobody's doing something. Send me. That's what the prophet said. You know, it's very interesting that when you have a ship in the water, it's very hard to steer that ship. There's a little thing called a rudder that steers it. The only way the rudder works is if the ship is moving. But if the ship is still in the port, it doesn't matter when you turn the rudder, the ship doesn't, doesn't steer. And some of us are stationary ships. We're saying, God, show me what you call me for. Show me what your will is for my life. And we're stationary. I love Isaiah 30, verse 21. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, you'll hear a voice behind you telling you, this is the way. Walk in it. And I love that scripture because it says, yes, there's a turning before the voice. That many times you take a step of faith, you take a risk, and you go, and you see an issue, and you say, God, I want to be used by you because I see a broken world. I see something you died for. Help use me. And as you step up, as you take that risk, God begins to direct you. And so I want to challenge you to start to take risks, to start to ask God, show me what I can do about the brokenness that I see around me. Remember, a life that is not lived for God's purpose is a wasted life. You know, as you ask God, I want to challenge you To ask God for big things. Ask God for big things. Ask God for things that will make him sweat. You know, God has told us in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8 ask of me, and I will give you nations as your inheritance. Ask of me and I'll give you nations. The picture I get sometimes is God is in heaven and he's like, okay, 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 I've given you the power. Ask, dare me, ask me for something really big. And my prayer is, God, here's my big prayer. Make me really, really, really comfortable. And God's looking at me in disappointment. He's like, that's not what I made you for. Ask me for something. Ask me for a God-sized thing that only I can do with your life. I don't think it gives him joy to see us praying comfort prayers. What God-sized prayers are you praying? You know, in our church, we teach our people to ask God for their school. If you're in a high school, start to pray, God, give me this high school. Show me how I can influence this high school for your glory. Lord, help me. Just open my eyes, even in small ways, that I can begin to change one life and another life. But Lord, by the time I graduate, give me this school. And I say, if God asks you to ask for nations, surely he can give you a high school. (laughs) Isn't it? Yes, he can. He absolutely can. Amen. Pray for your family. Pray for your family. Ask him, Lord, give me my family. I remember when my, wife, when, when, when my wife and I got married, her per, she was the only Christian, she was the first Christian in her family, no Christian heritage at all, and she was the first Christian in her family. And we decided, Lord, we're asking you for this family. You've told us to ask for nations, we're starting with our family. And we began to pray for them, and we fasted and prayed for that family. It was so interesting because they were so secular. I mean, when we went to a party, it would be like we're the only two Christians there, and people would even change their language because of us. And, you know, you could almost tell as soon as we left the party, then the music would just start getting louder. And you'd almost hear the curse words following you outside the door because it's like, oh, finally, we can speak the way we wanted to speak. And we prayed for her family. We prayed and said, God, give us this family. And you know the most amazing thing? Her parents became Christians. Her siblings became Christians. Today, it's the most amazing thing. Today, every single one, every single one of our family, they're serving Jesus. They love God. They're faithful to Jesus. And I say, my goodness, you might be the youngest in that family, but you can begin to say, God, give me my family. I'm asking you for this family. At least start with them, even as I pray for the rest of the world. What will you trade your life for? What are you going to give your life for? What do you want to live for? You know, it's interesting that 200 years ago, young men and women from this nation, they went out across the world. They were compelled by the love of Jesus to go into nations where nobody knew about Jesus. You know, it was interesting because many of them were the age of people in this room. They were young. Some of them were college students, some were not even in college but they were compelled by the love of God. The church did not do missions in those days. And somebody famously said, look, young man, if, you want, if God wants to convert the heathen, he can do it by himself. But these young people were convinced that God wanted to do something in the world, and so they went. They, there were no flights in those days, so they went on steamers across the sea. Many of them got sick and even died before they got there. In fact, Testament, history tells us that some of them carried their coffins with them and they put their belongings, instead of a suitcase, they put their belongings in their coffins. Why? Because they knew they probably would not come back home to see their family again. By going, they were giving up their whole life. And here's the most amazing thing. Many of them went across the world. Some of them came to Africa. Some of them came to my own nation of Kenya. And because of those young people, many of them from this nation. I am a third generation Christian. My grandfather was a Christian. My father was a Christian. I am a Christian. Because of the young people of this nation. You know, not even, we're not just Christians. My grandfather was a preacher. My father is a preacher. I am a preacher because of the young people of this nation. And I want to ask... Where is the generation that will arise in this time to go out to a broken and hurting world? Where is the generation that will give up their comfort, will give up the thoughts of what their peers will think of them, will give up their lives, will trade everything for the one thing that ultimately matters, that they will live for the purpose that God created them for, that the world will know Him? Where is that generation. You know, I strongly believe that God is in the business today of raising up a new generation of student missionaries. I strongly believe that God is raising a multi-generation, a, a, a multi force of people from all across the world, churches working together from different continents, going together into the large cities of the world where people do not know Jesus to reach this next generation in ways that are relevant to them. I believe that God is raising up that generation. And I'm so excited because I will see this generation in my lifetime. And I want to ask, will you choose today to be one of those that God is raising in this generation? Amen. I love that man. Amen. 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 I love that man. I love what my brother Steve said. Steve just before me challenged us to a reckless adventure. To a life of following Jesus across the world. He, he, he was a youth minister doing a great job here. But he had the call of Jesus to go across the world. And now lives are being changed in another nation because of him. Will you be that generation that rises up to do the mission of Jesus in this time? Will you be that generation that surrenders everything and says, Here I am, Lord, send me? You know, I'm going to invite the band to come up because I want to conclude in prayer. And I want to challenge you to be that generation that will refuse to be comfortable, that will say, Lord, use me to change my school. Lord, use me to change my family, my neighborhood. Lord, even use me to change my church because my church might be dying right now and maybe it's me who will stand up and be different. Lord, use me to change this world. I dare you to refuse to waste your life. I dare you to refuse to live a normal, mediocre life. I dare you not to be like the rest of your peers. I dare you to say, Lord, here I am. I will live for only you. Amen. Amen. I'd like to pray for a moment. I'd like to pray for a moment because I sense that God is starring some hearts in this room. And I sense that God is doing something here. It's not hype, it's not emotion, it's not because other people are cheering. But there's something supernatural running in somebody's heart right now, and that God is speaking. There are brothers and sisters praying for you across the world right now, even as I speak. And I know God is answering this prayer. I believe there's somebody here that God is already speaking to. God's been speaking to you long before I shared this message, but you've been afraid. God's been challenging you to give your life to Him completely, but you've been afraid to surrender. And I believe this message is for you and I'm going to be challenging you in a second to surrender. I believe there's some older Christians here. You've served God already and you've been faithful in your day. You even know exactly what I'm talking about. But right now when you look at your life and where you are, you've you've gotten comfortable. And surrender is in the past for you. But I sense that God is saying he wants us to be like the apostle Paul. Paul said I die daily. And Paul did not ever retire from living a surrendered life. And I sense there's somebody here, maybe even an older person, and God is speaking to you. And he wants you to get into that place, back of surrender, where you say, Lord, I will serve you with everything. I will go anywhere. I'll do whatever you ask me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And then I believe there's a youth leader here. I just sensed, even as I prayed, (laughs) you know, it's one thing. I've been a youth pastor, and I've led groups just like you have but I sense that some of us that God has been speaking to and in the space you're in God has been making you very uncomfortable and I sense that God is saying this is, this is my call to you I want you to step out and step up and to lean into me and let me show you what I made you for There's a bigger adventure that I have for you and so if you're here and God's stirring your heart I'm going to ask you to very silently do a daring thing Just stand to your feet. Just very quietly. If this is you, God is saying, I want you to surrender. And you're saying, Lord, here I am. I will go anywhere. I'll give anything. I'll give everything to see this world filled with the glory of God. To see the poor rejoice. To see the churches planted. To see the people come back to you. I will be part of that mission force that you are raising in my generation to go out across the nation. Lord, I will follow you. I will lean into you. I bless God for every single one of you. I'm going to invite you just to put out your hands in front of you right now. And just as a sign of surrender. And just begin to say, Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I surrender. Just say that daring prayer. Lord, it's yours. I'm coming under your management now. I'm inviting you to take my life. Some of you are very young, but God is going to use you to do amazing things because of this step of surrender. I said some of you, God is going to send you across this nation to start a revival in the area of family because the one word God gave me as I prayed for England and as I prayed for the U.K., that this nation has broken families and that God is raising a missionary generation, not even for the world but for this nation, that will heal the family here and there's somebody receiving that call right now but I also sense that there are many of you the Lord will use to go out into Europe and into Africa and across the world as you serve him and there are others that God will tell you that's not what I called you for but as you lean into him He will show you how your city will be changed because you're there. Father, I just want to speak over your children right now in this place of surrender. I pray that, Lord, you'd receive their prayers as they're rising up to you right now. Come on, just say that prayer to God. Receive these lives as they come to you now, Lord. Begin the work of revival in this place, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would raise up that generation right here. I pray that, Lord, the UK would never be the same. I pray that Europe would never be the same. I pray that this world will never be the same because men and women stood up and they said, here I am, Lord, send me. Oh God, let your spirit just come now and just begin to confirm and comfort your people to encourage them in this decision that they're making. I pray that none of us would live a life of mediocrity, a comfortable, safe life because of this step we're making. And Lord, I thank you because across the world there's something new you're doing and that we're part of it with you. And so I just bless you now. Lord, I speak a a risky prayer over your children. And Lord, my prayer for them is that they will never be comfortable with mediocrity. Give them a holy restlessness, a holy discontent, that Father God, they will not be content until they are fully aligned with what you're doing, wherever they are. And that Lord, this thing, this surrender will be comp- complete and total. You're calling us to be slaves of Jesus, and gladly we give our lives to you. We will serve you, Lord. We will serve you. We bless you, Lord. We worship you. Come on, let's just raise an applause to the Lord right now. We bless you, Lord..